So I'd like to welcome you to this edition of the Publisher's Desk podcast. My name is Pierpaolo Finaldi. I'm the CEO and publisher of the Catholic Truth Society, a publisher which has been serving the Catholic community in the UK and abroad for over 150 years. We've published everything from prayer cards to booklets to leather-bound liturgical volumes and everything in between, and have published great Catholic authors, including Cardinal Newman, Ronald Knox, G.K. Chesterton, and many others. So today I'm uh, very happy to be speaking to Father Marcus Holden, um, another in our long line of illustrious authors, and the author of one of our latest releases, Stations of the Cross, A Via Dolorosa. Um, Father Marcus uh, studied in Oxford and Rome and is the author of multiple books, including the Evangelium course, and has made many films with St. Anthony Communications. He is the Episcopal Vicar for Evangelization and Catechesis in the Archdiocese of Southwark and is the parish priest of a thriving parish in South London. Um, welcome to the podcast, Don. Thank you very much. Good to be with you, Piero. Great. So um, I, I thought we'd go maybe from the kind of general to the particular, um, speaking uh, about the Stations of the Cross um, more generally, and then going to speak about your own kind of contribution to what is a, a, a very important genre in, in the, uh, the, um, in the sort of prayer life of the church. So um, tell us a bit, um, if, if you could, about the, uh, the history of the stations, um, you know, where, where they come from. Uh, and, you know, how they've become such a kind of ubiquitous um, part of every, every church that you go into. Yes, well, the, the stations as we have them today, those 14 steps from the Praetorium of Pilate to the laying of Christ in the tomb, the, the way we have them today is a relatively modern uh, development. I say relatively modern, the Catholic Church is two millennia old. And so we're, we're looking at about... Uh, 400 years this this precise form that it's had but of course meditation on the passion of Christ has always existed uh, from the beginning and St Paul in 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 2 Corinthians says I desire to know Christ Jesus and know him crucified so it implies a whole world of meditation and the gospels themselves could be described as largely meditations upon the passion the bigger part of them is is about the passion and so this has exercised the minds of, and the hearts of Christians you know, for centuries. And so in terms of formal devotion, this has taken many forms over time. Uh, and we can see that in history, there are various attempts to have uh, acts of devotion towards the passion of Jesus. One particular group that is known for this is the Franciscan order. St. Francis is a major figure in, in all this development. So Francis, Francis of Assisi was uh, a 13th century friar. He, he's the founder of the Franciscan movement and was spoken to by Jesus on, on the cross to follow him and to rebuild the church. And he lived a life of penitence and of prayer, particularly linking himself to suffering and Christ's suffering in others. And he famously bore the stigmata, which is the wounds of Christ on his hands and his feet and his side. And it was particularly St. Francis who called Christians to an active devotional meditation on the passion of Jesus in a very, very specific way. He, he was calling Christians to not just think about it, 
or assent to the passion of Christ, but to feel with Christ, to empathize with his suffering as if we were there. And I think that's a particular gift that the Franciscans bring in the 13th century to the spiritual tradition of the church. And you can see it in the art of the time with the, the great art of Giotto, the Franciscan artist. He, he's calling us to empathize, to, to enter into the, 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 uh, the events, the saving events of our Lord's Passion. And so I think it's, it's from the Franciscan tradition that the stations we know begin to emerge. And it was the Franciscans who famously went to the Holy Land after the, uh, the Holy, Holy Land, the Holy Places were lost, and the Saladin, it was the Franciscans who got back in there. France has a particular interest in this, and they had the custody of the Holy Places. And so from, you know, 13th, 14th century onwards, you begin to see accounts of devotional walks in Jerusalem, the Holy Way, sometimes it was called. And interestingly, the this is for, for England, and we're, we're in England talking about this, the first recording of the Via Dolorosa as a set number of steps, uh, the, uh, the stations of the crosses, we would not understand them today, was from an English pilgrim in the 1400s, William Way. He, he speaks of these, these steps through the streets of Jerusalem in a very definite way. And so you've got the stations there. But the stations weren't always 14. They were all sorts of different numbers. Uh, seven, 30 sometimes, and, and different, different aspects of the Passion were picked out for meditation. And it was, it was soon after that that shrines and holy places around Europe were set up with Stations of the Cross for pilgrims, sometimes mountains and hills, because people couldn't go to Jerusalem so easily. And they wanted to replicate what was in Jerusalem. So two things, they couldn't get there, but they wanted to copy as well. And this led to the the uh, uh, Holy Ways, um, the Via Dolorosa, the stations being set up in different places. Uh, and it became a popular tradition. But the Franciscans were behind it all at that point, And they kept it very much themselves. And they would invite people to these practices. And only the Franciscans in their churches could set up the Stations of the Cross. No one else had the permission. The Pope gave only the Franciscans. The, because they were in the Holy Land, and there's this connection with the, the, the original Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows that our Lord walked. They were able to put that in their churches. And even in the 1700s, when this was extended out, if you had a parish and you wanted to set up in your church the pictures or icons of the 14 stations, you had to get a Franciscan in to do it. They, they, they kept this devotion very much themselves. And it was only in the 19th century um, that this was made possible for every church and any church. You didn't need a Franciscan. So it's relatively a, a modern development to have the freedom to establish stations. And again, it, it was a, the first recording of this is, for, is in England in, in the 1850s after the restoration of the hierarchy. England got permission in any church to set up stations without Franciscans being involved, which was... Uh, maybe there weren't many Franciscans around, so they got the special permission. And then within a decade, everyone had the permission. That's the way often these cascades happen. Um, but certainly since the 19th century, then, most churches have installed stations. And it's almost an expectation to have. Um, it, and it's 
for the best part of 200 years. It's just part of the diet, the spiritual diet of Catholics. And especially, most especially during Lent, when we're thinking uh, most poignantly and on Good Friday uh, of, of Jesus' passion and death. And I think everybody would recognize what the stations are now in a church. And it's a, a very beautiful tradition, but with that long, deep history. It's very interesting that it's almost part of the kind of uh, Franciscan genius to come up with these um, uh, representations which make uh, these important moments in the life of Christ so present. Um, if you think, you know, walking to a church uh, at Christmas and the crib there is, is a, a gift from the Franciscans. And uh, as you say, the, uh, the stations are as, as well. Um, I, I always think that um, you know, the, 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 in the, the, the crib, we're called to, to be very much um, still in front of this kind of scene of, of stillness. Whereas with the Via Dolorosa, it really has this uh, kind of propels you uh, uh, to, to move with, with Christ around the church. I mean, I don't know um, if, if you've been to any of the, the processions that they do in Spain. And, and uh, whenever I, I do pray the, the stations, it, those, those kind of processions kind of come back to you. Uh, that that the, the, the fact that the, the, the stations are around the church always kind of calls on you to, to make this movement. Is that, is that kind of an important part of it? I think it is, and it stems from taking up your cross and walking with, with, with our Lord. And it, it comes again from Jerusalem, because that's what the pilgrims did. And even today, you, you're invited to have a cross and carry it while you do the stations through the streets of Jerusalem. And the, the, the proper practicing of the stations of the cross is meant to be a procession. It's meant to be a, like a pilgrimage. You're, you're, you're on the move. Uh, and you're, you're walking with Christ. You go around the church. In fact, even in the indulgence that's given, this, the specific plenary indulgence that's offered for the recitation of the Stations of the Cross, which is given by Holy Mother Church, it expects that movement. You can't get it without movement. You can get it if, if a priest moves and everyone else stays still, but at least has to be someone processing around. But it says, ideally, when there's opportunity for everyone to move around the church, um, so the, the movement is big, uh, built into it. And, and I think that's, it shows the physicality of devotion. Sometimes we think of ourselves as uh, detached minds to contemplate things, but we are bodies as well. And we're meant to feel things and we're meant to do things. And maybe people find that easier to, to relate to. Sometimes modern liturgy is very verbose, very wordy and very cerebral. Uh, and it's probably a really good opportunity to 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 move to the physic physicality of our our religion when we walk around the stations when we we genuflect at each station we kneel down um, i think it's all very important so for those who might not be um very familiar with uh, with the, the devotion i mean it's it's interesting we we've we've come from a period in in the church's history where devotions have been kind of very much downplayed but which i think are, they're making a comeback as all, all good things should. Um, so tell us what, what are the, the, the basic kind of elements? Um, because you know, often the meditations can, can change from one, from one uh, set of stations to another, but there are some elements in, in uh, the prayer of the, 
the stations of the cross which are always present so could you just take us through like a typical um stations of the cross uh, and just tell us a, li a little bit about those elements yeah traditional stations of the cross would be often led by a priest or a deacon but not doesn't have to be so but in a church that's often the case uh, and sometimes there'll be someone carrying a processional cross in front of the priest as a server doing that and there'll be an opening prayer at the sanctuary and then you start with station one and when you get to that station um, it's announced the name of it so Jesus is condemned to death and at that point there's a, an ancient prayer that said we adore you O Christ and we praise you because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world uh, and that um, uh, at that point traditionally everyone genuflects which is a quite a powerful thing when you when you think of it because we genuflect the blessed sacrament normally because we believe in the real presence and we we do genuflect when we approach the cross on good friday and when we kiss and kiss the cross and so it's in that latter sense that we are genuflecting to the cross within our minds that it is the cross of christ himself so we're imagining very much that we're there in front of it and I suppose the grace makes that present to us in a spiritual way. But that genuflecting at each cross is quite important. We stand up then, and then there's usually a meditation and some prayers. And between the stations, very commonly, people will sing. And they'll often sing the uh, Stabat Mater, which is, again, 13th century Franciscan uh, piece of music, Giacopone da Todi. Very beautiful. And the tradition is that you sing if you can the the stanzas between each station one stanza of this stab at martyr and it adds another whole dimension to what's going on with the stations and it's very theologically rich and a very tender very beautiful um work it's been put to music by some of the greatest composers of history the only difference between the process then of each station kneeling and the meditation and the singing of the uh, of, of the Stabat Mater, and then the praying of sometimes uh, Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be, and uh, very commonly a prayer of Alphonsus Liguri, which is very beautiful, expressing love and sorrow and contrition. The only difference to that pattern that's repeated again and again is that at number 12, you reach the climax of the stations, which is the actual death of Christ, the crucifixion of our Lord. And at that point, instead of just genuflecting, people often stay kneeling. They will just kneel for a longer period, often with silence, maybe for the whole meditation of that station. And so the, the, it isn't just um, 14 stations all the same. There's something very climactic about number 12. And then you descend from the cross and the stations often end back at the sanctuary with prayers uh, and very commonly and our Father, Hail Mary, and glory be for the Holy Father's intentions, which is for the gaining of the plenary indulgence that can be offered um, for, for Christians doing this uh, devotion together in church. So we, uh, we will be, um, the, the next episode of the podcast, we'll be talking about that Stabat Mater. Uh, there's a kind of companion volume, in a sense, um, work that we're publishing by Father Armand de Mallory, who's, who's uh, written out some um, meditations on on all the stanzas of the uh, of the the stab at martyr so that that's that's a great um other cts book that, that's coming out um in this in this period before lent um so 
Father Marcus, I, one, one of the things I would say, having worked in Catholic publishing for over 20 years now for my sins, um, uh, one, of, one of the most kind of common um, manuscripts that we get in is uh, our, our uh, meditations on the Stations of the Cross. Um, and, you know, they are all, always very kind of worthy and uh, we, we, we can't publish them all, but um, we've decided very much to, to, uh, um, to publish this one because um, I think it, it contains, I mean, you, you mentioned this in your introduction, that it was born from a moment in which, uh, that you spent in Jerusalem itself and that there's a kind of immediacy to it, which, which I thought was very, very helpful. Um, so do tell us about the, uh, the origins of these, uh, of these meditations. I think the origins probably at the deeper level go back to all one's life, you know, all one's thinking about the passion and I prayed the stations since I was a boy. So it's all there in the background that we all have a, a set of stations in our minds, but, but it was mm. brought to the fore and deepened and rounded and shaped by a sabbatical I had in 2017. I had a joy of being for an entire month in the Holy Land and I was living on the Via Dolorosa, actually the address at the, the Ecce Homo convent, which is by the side of the Praetorium where Pontius Pilate was. We, we know the site and we know that Jesus was there. And so I was literally living on the way of the cross. And I decided that this was a great moment, not only to, to pray that way of the cross, but to go deep into it, to meditate on each of those stations, because each of the stations has a little chapel or a very, um, a very well-designated point where you can stop and spend time. And I was able just to, you know, huddle up in a corner of a chapel and, and think about each particular station and working my way up eventually to Calvary, which is in the Holy Sepulchre. So it was a marvelous opportunity. And that, that's the origin of these particular stations, that it, it's from Jerusalem, which is the origin of the stations itself, uh, and born from uh, the opportunity, uh, which was a grace in my own life, to, to, to pray a lot in each of those places. And... Um... I, one one thing which I, I, I thought is, is interesting, I mean, you're, you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned in the book that it's, a, it's a, a text which can be used in a kind of communal setting, but also as a kind of private devotion. Um, so, I mean, do tell us a bit about, you know, the difference of, 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 of kind of praying the stations in those two different ways. Is many, there are many stations of the cross that have been written. I know CTS has published many in the past. And I've got a whole set of different ones over the years. And some, there's some really great authors of public stations. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we have, I think we have a version by Newman. We have a version, versions by, by St. Alphonsus as well. Obviously the classics. They're the classics. And, and, I, and I, I love both of those. Newman's meditations are my favorites. But I would say with, with, with Newman's meditations, they're very much for personal reading. I have tried to use them publicly. They're quite long. Mm. Um, and there's a shortened version of them. They're still quite long. Um, so they're more for personal reflection. And they're really deep and really theological. The Alfonso Gori ones are perfect for communal recitation because they're very short and brief and to the point. But they're the ones we use most of the time in a public setting. And I think most of the stations have been of the Newman side of things rather than the Alfonso side. So most of the books of stations you get in the modern times tend to be longer 
deeper meditations, which are wonderful. And they're more for, for private prayer and pondering, if you've got time. But I, I wanted these stations to be able to provide that in a simple and brief way, but also to be usable, usable for churches and for going round in a half hour, you know, going round the stations. So a devotion that you can do in a half hour, which I think is important on a practical level. So that these ones are more in the school of Alphonsus, I think, in that way, that they are, that they're very practical, they can be used in practice, in public recitation. And I was very keen that I, that, that, that was possible. But, but I hope also people will use them on their own um, and won't be daunted by them because they're, they're short enough and easy enough and simple enough. I mean, we, the, uh, the book is, uh, is illustrated and we've used, um, uh, we've used the, the set of stations from one of your uh, previous parishes in, in, uh, in South London. Um, uh, Father Richard Winder, the current parish priest, kindly gave us permission to use those. And I mean, I'm always interested when, if you think about it, there, there, uh, there aren't any real kind of um, what one one could be unkind and say kind of great works of art as as uh, you know sets of stations done by a very famous artist I suppose the ones in in Westminster Cathedral um, slightly controversially uh, now um, were have have been um, kind of appreciated as 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 kind of real works of art but I often find them to, they're, they're more kind of devotional um, art really uh, and uh, and the fact that we've used a kind of a set of stations which one would find in in any church i think is quite kind of familiar uh and quite um helpful to uh to use uh for devotion rather than for kind of uh art appreciation i mean uh, what, what how how have you felt what what what's been kind of one of your favorite sets of stations that you've uh, that you've seen around uh, on your travels I, I think you're absolutely right about um the, this question that there are many of the great works of art that are stations of the cross. And, and, I, and I think there are, there are reasons for that. One is that a commission of 14 pictures is a huge commission. And the great artists tend, you know, they're expensive because they're great. That's why, that's why they're great. You know, they're, they're expensive for that, that reason. And so, and the other reason is the stations have been developed in uh, fairly modern, as I said, in modern times. The 19th century it really proliferated this devotion in every church and so they're going to be more mass produced on the whole and um, you're going to get few of the greater artists in the more modern period unfortunately it seems to be that way that being said there are some beautiful sets and what the, the set from the, the, there's in this book is from the um, is from the Holy Ghost Balaam. That was my first parish as a priest, where I started. First time I led the stations as a priest was with these stations, which which uh, for me they remain very special. They're three dimensional. They're more like statues than, than um, two dimensional pictures. And yes, I, I, I I'm glad that they they've got into this this book. One of my favourites is the set of stations at Pugin's Church in in Ramsgate, the Saint Augustine Shrine, also in in this archdiocese they're very medieval looking as you'd expect from a gothicist and um they're also three-dimensional uh, uh, and they they run along a side chapel all on one wall in one line so they're quite unusual but they're very popular and in lent i always remember people packing into that small area 
and slowly shifting along uh, to do the stations. So they're a particular favorite of mine. But there are, there are many worthy examples of, yes, devotional art, but, but good art that, that, that isn't kitsch, that it does raise, raise the mind and heart to God and just, you know, deeply affect the heart. Which I think is the point of the stations. Indeed, indeed. Um, so I, I, I mean, I think we're coming to the end of, of the podcast. And um, I uh, thank you very much for, for writing these and giving, uh, you know, a, a, new, a new way of a, uh, another kind of addition to the, to, the, to the way in which we can meditate on, on this most important moment in, in uh, the church's year and in, in the life of Christ. Um, so, uh, Father, where, where can people kind of uh, read read some of your your books and materials and see see some of your uh, uh, your films, etc.? How how can people kind of um, uh, make contact with the material that you that you've been putting out over the years? Well, uh, quite a bit of it is with CTS, so the Catholic Truth Society, and particularly the courses, the Evangelium course, which uses art. We've been talking about art to express the mysteries of the Catholic faith. Uh, it's a full overview of the, of the catechism. And then the Y course, which is about apologetics. Um, so anti-communications have produced 20, 20 odd different uh, videos about the Catholic faith. They're online, you can, you can get those streamed now, you can download them too. And um, you, uh, you, you can also, I, I also have lots of different things on YouTube. Recently we produced a series of short videos called Divinitas, The Art of Faith. Uh, I was working with an art historian to talk about um, the different parts of the catechism again. And that's all available for free online. Um, or you can come to, uh, to come to my church at St. Bede's in, in South London and uh, we, can, we can meet you personally. Great. Well, I, I look forward to joining you to pray, pray the stations over forthcoming Lent, uh, I hope. Well, thank you very much, Father Marcus, for everything that you're you're doing for the for the church and uh, and for your uh, support of the CTS. And uh, we look forward to uh, uh, new projects in future. Thank you, Pierre, and thanks for all you're doing. It's great work.